James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning, LLC. Uh, it's good to see you uh, virtually. Uh, thanks for joining us again uh, on this uh, sun Sunday morning, wherever it is you're tuning in from. I just want to thank, uh, start off by thanking you for your prayers for our family. Uh, we're still have a few symptoms uh, going uh, on. Uh, it's going to linger for a little bit yet, but we're feeling a lot better. Jess actually came out of isolation this morning, so it's been a joyous morning for us as we celebrated our family coming back together after three weeks uh, apart in separate rooms in the apartment. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, we definitely feel them. We're definitely strengthened by them. And during this time, we really experienced the love of Christ through you and our church, through all the congregations for, again, for all the messages and the, the drop-offs and um, all the love and care that you've sent us and the prayers really, uh, really makes all the difference. And I'm just proud to be serving at our church here. Uh, and I'm uh, overwhelmed uh, by the love uh, that our family is, is, is receiving. Uh, this morning, uh, we are uh, continuing on on our series called Authentic uh, Marks of a, a Biblical Community. And uh, before I uh, go on with the rest of the talk this morning, uh, let me just pray and I have a short video uh, to start us off and then we'll continue on after that. Uh, Father, I thank you, uh, God, for your love. Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your grace, uh, for the opportunity to gather as a community, though virtually, uh, to be your church. And this morning as we gather, Lord, uh, may you speak to us. Uh, may you soften our hearts, open our hearts to hear you. Give us minds to comprehend, give us ears to hear, no matter where it is that we're tuning in from. Thank you, Lord, that this morning we get to be a family and we get to join in together uh, as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just try something here. Uh, hopefully it will work out. And because they're missiles. They cause, they cause nothing but problems, those things do. This is what all the fuss is about. It's like snow surfing, an idea that originated in, where else, California. It's been around for almost a decade in the United States, and now it's becoming the trendy thing to do on our local ski slopes. But the operators of the hills want them off. Uh, the skiers, we try and keep them separated, but the s snowboards come down the slopes and they'll go right in between the skiers and we'll kick them off and they'll just lip us off. And they're dangerous because if one of these uh, skateboards or ski boards, whatever they're called, hit a person, they'd break their leg because they're just like a missile. And most of them have no brakes on them. 
So uh, nobody is allowing them on any of the mountains around. But where there's a will, there's always a way. Ski hill operators refuse to let anyone with a snowboard onto the chairlift. So they have to hike to the top of the mountain and then find a secluded ski trail where they won't get caught. The ski patrol says it's got its hands full. Quite a, quite a lot of them are uncooperative. Um, some of them have had a little bit to drink and uh, smart Alex, you know, you go up and approach them in a very calm, collect manner and they, they tend to lip you off. You ask them very nicely to leave, that they're endangering the public and possibly themselves. And they, uh, they swear at you, they tell you to get lost, mind your own business. So it's quite a problem for us, really. I think the major problem with the snowboards is that they run into people. You know, they can't see behind them. And when you get skiers and snowboarders together on a run, you're looking for trouble. But the snowboarders don't see it that way. You got this powder strap right here, it holds you on like a brake. Your board can't go any more than three feet away from where you are. Skiers have brakes on their skis or straps about the same thing. So why are these people upset then? I don't know, they just don't like how it looks. They think it's dangerous. They don't want no new equipment or anything probably up there. Some gadget or something. Skiing is the same way, you know. People, you know, they get on skis and they just think they can overcome the world and they just head down most, you know, their capacity and they hurt other people just like a snowboard. I think they should let them give them a trial run and uh, let them try them out and see how they go and if they have a high fatality rate with them, they should take them off. Even if snowboarding is just another California fad, the people who work on local ski hills say one season is one too many. They they don't see our point, they only see their own point and it's sort of a tunnel vision of a, of a sort. Do you see any compromise in the future at all? No, no. Skiing is becoming more and more popular, and uh, if these boards become more and more popular, it's going to be more hassles, um, more confrontation. So we just like to say that we don't want them at all. All right, a little bit of a funny clip for you. That was back in 1985, I believe, in one of our local ski mountains. I think CBC said is Mount Seymour. Uh, so I got to double check, uh, fact check that. Uh, but I, I show that video because uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, smart Alex snowboarders. I'm a snowboarder. I don't feel like I'm a smart, smart Alex too much. Or I don't feel like I'm going as fast as a missile. But it's funny that something as simple as skiing versus snowboarding, that there's so much division back in 1985. And I... I heard just before this that there's still some mountains that don't allow it because they're deemed as, as dangerous. And this morning, as we continue on in our series, God Authentic Marks of a Biblical Community, we move into, well, we're in part two of a mini part within a series of studying the, um, uh, of what it means to have church unity. And we're in a, another text here of, of in one another uh, passage where it talks about unity and talks about what it means to be truly together. And I'm titling the talk this morning, the, the main thing from James 5, uh, 13 to 18. And my question is, as we watch that video, uh, is how would you bring unity between the skiers and the snowboarders? If you were having that conversation back then with them, what would unity look like uh, for them? And I think it wouldn't be so much of discussing the differences between the skis and snowboards uh, breaks for some of you might be thinking, well, what do you mean? Uh, what, do you, what 
wasn't mean that skis have brakes. Well, skis, when you fall off, there's just a function that it just breaks off. So the ski detaches from you. So which makes it a little bit more safe where a snowboard it's, it's attached to your uh, leg and it can't come off. Uh, so I kind of think it's more dangerous, but we can argue about those points and all the things around it and not really find a consensus. But what if I suggest that it's there, um, something that might unite them is their love for the snow. I don't know, uh, love for snow, love for uh, feeling the wind on their faces as they're going down the mountain, the freedom that they experience as they breathe in that alpine air. I think uh, the skiers and snowboarders would both uh, agree uh, to that. And I believe it's the same really for church unity and what we're talking about here in, in terms of being authentic and having authentic relationships uh, with each other, that we need to focus on the main thing, not the peripheral things or even the activities per se of the church or what we do, uh, but really the core of what we believe and keeping the main thing, the main thing. And James talks uh, so much about works. If you read through the book of James, uh, he talks a lot about that. And you may have heard the famous Bible uh, verse that faith without works is dead. So if you believe you have this faith, you got to work it out. Um, it's also fascinating and so powerful to me that he ends the book here. I know we didn't go through the whole uh, book, but here uh, he ends off uh, talking about prayer. After working out your faith and what that means, uh, he talks about prayer here. And here we find ourselves as we discuss uh, and go through verses 13 to 18, if we want to be an authentic community with authentic relationships with one another, uh, we will need to learn how to pray. We'll need to learn how to pray because again, prayer keeps the main thing, the main thing. In order for there to be unity amongst us, in order for us to have common understanding in the church, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And prayer keeps the main thing, the main thing. And what is this main thing? Well, it's focusing on God uh, because when God is in focus, so is everything else in life. When God is in focus, so is everything else. Um, the book of James addresses faith and challenges uh, us to think whether we really believe. And the book of uh, the book addresses spiritual drifting or as James calls it, uh, uh, double-mindedness. So uh, we know what we ought to believe and how we ought to live out our faith, but we're double-minded that we, one part of our minds are, it's in the world, it's of the flesh, it's gratifying our own desires. But at the same time, we struggle because we know how we ought to live and what we ought to believe as Christians. But he's saying, do away with any of that. Focus on the main thing. Focus on living a life that pleases and glorifies God and the rest of your life will come into, into focus. And when we keep the main thing, the main thing, I come to learn and come to see that unity becomes a, by, uh, uh, becomes a byproduct of that. Uh, it's a byproduct. Unity is a byproduct of focusing on God. What do I mean by that? Well, unity is always a byproduct because it's never really the main thing. When you focus on building unity and you try to build unity and kind of force it, it doesn't really work out that way. Uh, after all, what is really the essence of, of unity? Church unity isn't built around our common activity or what we do. Uh, it's built around uh, who we love or, and what we love. We don't create unity. Unity is a byproduct of a community all seeking God together, all keeping God as the main thing. And prayer, it builds this unity. A prayer builds this unity because prayer is God-focused. It's God-centered. A prayer builds unity because prayer forces us to focus on God. And this is true uh, in our marriages. This is true in our relationships, in our friendships. This is true with your coworkers and your classmates. This is true for the church, that a living church is really a praying church. And when we're praying, we're focusing on God in all aspects of your life. If it becomes about what you want and about your, your views and whatnot, 
then there will be disunity. There will be um, uh, there will be abrasiveness with the people around you. But when we focus on God, even though we might not agree on everything, we can all agree what it means to glorify God, to follow him, that he has the final say and the authority. And that's why in scripture, we learn that there is a wrong way to pray. Uh, the ways of the Pharisee who take something that's supposed to be God-centered and God-focused into me-centered and me-focused. That when I pray, uh, when the Pharisees are praying, that's not really about, uh, about God. It's about them and people focusing on them. That's not the right way to pray. Uh, when we pray, it's about focusing on God. Now, I believe I've said this before in a previous sermon about prayer. I'm not speaking to you in a way that I have mastered prayer. You know, there's levels of praying. <laughs> I've mastered it. I still struggle with it. I still struggle to get alone and into a quiet place and to focus and to, and to be reminded that this life is uh, about God. As I shared previously uh, a couple of weeks ago with the whole uh, COVID-19 and how it's affected our family, something like that can, can rock our, our lives and, uh, and aim to take my focus away from God. But prayer really focuses and keeps me uh, keeping the main thing, uh, the, the main thing. And yet in this passage this morning, we'll, we'll grow in our understanding of prayer and what it means to pray uh, for each other and for the church and for ourselves and how because of that, there will be unity that comes uh, within the church. So the, one of the first things we see in this passage is that we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for ourselves. In uh, verse 13, uh, we read this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Then in the next verse, he says, if anyone is sick, uh, then they should pray as well. And Duncan, our worship leader, just did, did read this passage for us. But here we're reminded again, is anyone among you in trouble? Another word for uh, another translation of the word trouble is suffering. So is anyone among you suffering? Uh, let them pray. Is anyone among you happy or cheerful or overjoyed? Let them sing songs of praise, which is really another form of, of prayer. So what, what is James's point here is that no matter what is happening, when you're suffering and you're in the depths uh, of life and you're feeling uh, sorrow and you're in this place, this really bad place that we ought to pray because it's in that time that when we pray, we don't focus on what's happening around us. It allows us to focus on God. It allows us to keep the main thing, the main thing uh, in our lives. But also, if is anyone among you happy or cheerful, or overjoyed, you're experiencing the mountaintop moments. In those moments, you ought to pray as well that we, we, we don't forget about God who is the giver of good gifts, but we're to be reminded in our prayer to keep him in focus, that we're to pray and keep him in the middle of our lives, understand that he is the one that's given us all good things. So when you're suffering, we pray. When we're happy and overjoyed and we're cheerful, we pray. We're always to remind ourselves uh, to, to, uh, of what's most uh, important. And I love this because how James starts off by we're often running around praying for others and praying for the world and, and, and each other, but do we stop and really pray for ourselves? And not in a selfish way, but, to, but in a way that says in humility that I need prayer too, that I need God. I need God. I need to keep God in focus uh, in order for me to understand what this life is that he's given me. Uh, so instead of focusing on other people, he, he calls us here to focus on ourselves first. Uh, not, not, not in a selfish way, but to pray and to realize where our faith is coming from. So the verse goes on saying to pray for others. In verse uh, 14, we read this. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of 
the Lord. There's much discussion about this word for sick in the beginning of uh, verse 14. There's anyone among you sick? Uh, some think it's physical sickness. Some say it's, uh, it's uh, another translation of it is weakness. So talking about spiritual weakness. And I believe if you're asking James who wrote this uh, book, uh, are you talking about physical sickness or are you talking about spiritual sickness? I think the answer James will give us is yes uh, to both. Uh, that I don't think it's mutually exclusive, though it seems like he's leaning towards the physical side. But I still believe it, it could uh, apply to both the physical and the sick. Uh, and that he's really speaking to both here. And what else do we notice here is that if someone is spiritually sick or spiritually weak or they're physically sick, what are they to do? They're to call the elders of the church uh, to pray uh, over them. What, what's interesting here is that uh, another way of us to understand this is in other words, the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, the overseers, which is what the word uh, elder translated as, or also pastor, uh, aren't, they're not all knowing that they, they don't know everything. The leaders of the church don't know everything that's going on. They're not omniscient like God, where they are lying there and all of a sudden someone needs, you know, prayer for this. Sometimes God reminds them of that, but most oftentimes not because they're not on knowing. What's fascinating here is that it, it puts the onus and the responsibility on the person that is sick to ask for, for prayer, to ask for others to pray uh, for them. So we see how there's a unity building factor in that already, that for you to reach out and to ask others to pray for you, there's already a building up of unity between uh, people there. That the elders are not all knowing. And maybe uh, this morning for you, as we think about prayer, as you're thinking about what it means to pray, that you need to, uh, as an act of faith, take a step out and to go to one of your leaders and to ask for prayer for something specific in your life, uh, to a, a specific leader that you trust and that you want to bring that up and be like, hey, I need you to pray. This is my act of faith this morning. This is my act of believing that God is going to do something through prayer and through the people in this community here that I'm going to reach out and in, in, um, out of my comfort zone and to ask for, for prayer. And I already mentioned this a little bit in terms of who are the elders. Well, the elders are the leaders. Uh, it's the overseer or is the pastor. So definitely let uh, me know or the pastors of the church know. But I also want to urge you to let the other elders that we, even though we don't have an official um, title for elders, we do have overseers and leaders in the church uh, functioning as overseers in each ministry. I want to urge you to uh, reach out to them and to ask them to pray uh, for you because I know they would love to pray for you. And what's also interesting here is that the elders are to come and to pray over them, but they're also to anoint them with oil. And biblically speaking, there's different ways of understanding anointing. There's anointing to set someone apart, uh, like we read of in the Old Testament of setting kings apart when they're anointed and they're called into kingship, uh, that they're set apart by the Lord and this act of anointing sets them apart. I hear there's a hint of that, but not really. It's actually more talking about a physical kind of ointment, uh, anointing of this oil that, that heals. Uh, oils in, in ancient times here, uh, especially olive oil specifically in the Mediterranean area, uh, had a healing property. So it's here saying anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, that you're not only to pray for them, that's important as well, but you're to provide for them physically. That as leaders and, and, and elders and overseers that we're to pray over them, but also to uh, provide for them in the physical way. So I want to urge you again, at the end of this section, we learned that we're to pray for ourselves. We're to be reminded every day to pray for ourselves and for God to help us to focus on the main thing. But every day we're to help others as well. 
we're to pray for others. And if we need prayer, that we need to reach out to the people around us to take uh, that step. So go to your youth leader. If you're in youth group, go to your young adult leader. If you're in young adults, go to your life group. Uh, if you're part of, uh, of a life group uh, leader, uh, ask them to pray for you. Uh, or if you just so happen to know other leaders and overseers in our church, ask them if you need prayer. Uh, do a, hey, pray for me. This is what's going on, big or small, because they would love uh, to pray. And all the more, especially if you are sick or you're suffering or you're going through something. Those are the moments where we gather together as a community, which is what our family experienced as our church covered us in prayer every single day, whether someone sent a prayer emoji or they wrote out a prayer or they left me a message, whatever it is, just saying that we're praying for you, that gives us power and strength, knowing that there's, yeah, there's people there backing us up uh, and, and supporting us uh, through a prayer. But when we pray, though, we're not only are we to pray for others uh, or do, uh, to pray for ourselves, there's a specific way in which we are to pray. We're to pray with, with faith. In other words, we're not to pray uh, just with um, our own, uh, taking things into our own actions, into our own strength and power, but we're to pray uh, with faith. In verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So as you're reading this verse, as often for me, and when I read it, I kind of have to pause and it kind of jars me a little bit because many do have issues with verse 15 here. What does this mean? Does that mean that every time we pray in faith, uh, automatically that there's going to be healing that happens in the person? Because uh, we read that here, right? We see how the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Or another translation is, will uh, uh, a prayer offered in faith will save the sick person. Uh, that's another way of understanding that. And there seems to be issues here, especially in terms of the faith healing world. I'm going to go there in terms of prosperity, uh, in terms of just if you believe it enough, then it will happen. And this is a supporting verse. It says it right here in James 5.15 that if you pray in faith, the sick person will become well. So what does that mean? How are we to understand that? First off, I don't think that's really biblical, even though it seems like that's what this passage is saying. Uh, that's not biblical. I believe the devil takes that and takes verses like this and twists it to get you to think that you can play God, that you have power, that you can coerce God, you can put him in a box and be like, this is what you're going to do, God, right now. This is what I need you to do. So you're going to do it because I'm praying uh, in faith. Uh, I don't think that's our way of understanding this passage. Uh, biblically, uh, to pray with faith isn't wishful thinking. It's not yelling louder, though passion and loudness can come with prayer as you're calling out to God or conjuring up some sort of uh, a power within you or something like that to get God to do something. Biblical faith isn't that. Biblical faith is connected with believing and trusting in God's will. That's what biblical faith is. That's what the book of James is all about. We're forced to reflect and see whether we have genuine an authentic faith and genuine authentic faith is believing and trusting in God and not in anything else, not even in our own strength. So we're really being asked here, do we really believe in the person that we're praying to? Having biblical faith isn't only about whether we believe or not, but what we believe is also important. Whether we believe God or not can never be divorced from what we believe about God. Many of us say we believe in God and we, we know him, that's good. But we know in scripture also says the demons also believe, but what they also knew about God caused them to shudder in fear. 
what do you believe about God? What do you know about God? Believing God is one part, but what we know about him and what we believe about him is also important. Therefore, a prayer of faith here, uh, a prayer of faith are prayers that ask God to accomplish what he has already promised in scripture. It's not something outside of that. It's praying in, in uh, accordance to who God already says he is as he's revealed himself in scripture. Because we know in scripture, he's never promised to heal everyone and anyone. He can, but he, 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 he doesn't say that he's going to do it every single time in every single situation. Or it never says in scripture, every, every time we pray that there's automatic healing that, that comes. And just because something bad happens, it doesn't mean that God isn't in, in control. It doesn't say any, any of that. In fact, it's quite the opposite that we know that God is always in, in control. Are there some biblical examples, if you're wondering, of, of God not answering prayer? And him not answering the prayer is actually a good thing. I think about 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 9, where the Apostle Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh. And though we don't know what it is, he prays for God to take it away, but God doesn't take it away. I'm thinking here that if God never took away, perhaps it's to humble Paul and to make him into the servant and the apostle that he, that he is and that he was when he was here on earth. And that the great things and the great ministries that God used him for wouldn't have happened if he did take away that thorn in the flesh that kept them humbled, that kept them in humility. Or Matthew 26, 39 to 34, you remember that when Jesus is praying for God to take this cup away from him? I, I'm thankful that God didn't take that cup away, not because I enjoy seeing Jesus suffer, but it's because of his suffering that came to salvation for the world. Uh, that's what happened there. If God took that away, then there wouldn't have been salvation for the world. Um, that Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross for the sake of humanity. And you and I that believe in Jesus couldn't experience this freedom that we do have here today. And as you think of your own example, maybe some of you are suffering and going through sickness and going through a hard time. I, I don't know why God didn't answer that prayer that you had uh, or have right now. But what I do know is that he knows what you're going through. He does uh, know what he is doing. He's, and what I do know is that he is working everything out for the good of his people. We might not see it now. We might not see it as we're in the darkness. It seems like we're in the tunnel. But God is working out for the good of his people and he is for you and that he is with you. On the flip side, I want to say this as well. Though sickness is a part of life and a part of the fall of man, that we experience suffering and evil, all sorts of evil in the world. I don't want to dismiss the connection here that we do see between sin and sickness. We do see a connection here. There are only a handful of verses in scripture that does connect the two. Uh, one of the main examples is John 5, 14, where Jesus heals an invalid at Bethesda. Uh, but he says this uh, in verse 14, see, you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So it seems like there is some sort of connection between sin and, and sickness. And we can't divorce the two. We can't totally eradicate or, or disconnect the two. Yet, I want you to hear, hear me say this, and I believe this is biblical here, that verses like this, the one I just read in, in, Matt, in John chapter 5, we understand that sickness comes as a result of sin, but it's meant, to it's meant to lead us to repentance. It's meant to lead us closer to God. It's meant to lead us back into God's arms. It's meant to lead us to realize that we're not in control, that God is, uh, that God is the Lord of all, that is meant to lead us back into his presence. And in the context of James, this makes sense. It, it is, we read James 5.15 here, 
this makes sense because James is trying to shake those that are double-minded, those that are wrestling uh, with being in the world as well. He's trying to say, no, you're, we're done with that, away with that. The best place to be is to focus on the main thing, which is the presence of God, the goodness of God, to realize our lives are in God's hands and, and, and that we're, we're meant to focus on him in that way. So we see here the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And I, we still, the full answer hasn't come yet. I believe the next part has to be answered too. It's because we don't only pray with faith, but we're to pray in righteousness. So, so why does James connect faith with righteousness as well? That we're meant to pray in faith, but we're also meant to pray in righteousness. Verse 16 there, therefore, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So if we understand that, that prayers of faith are, are, are prayers that ask God to accomplish what he has promised in scripture, then of course these prayers will make the sick person well or save them. Well, why is that? Well, it's going to draw them closer to God. And ultimately that's what salvation is about. It's having a relationship with God. He might save, when we draw close to God and we call on his name, we will be saved. We will have the salvation, this relationship with God because righteousness comes when we acknowledge that we are wrong. That's the fascinating thing about it, that we receive righteousness from God when we, uh, when we declare that we are wrong before him and he gives us his righteousness. So we receive the salvation from him and sometimes he does heal us physically and that's kind of a bonus. Uh, that's a bonus that we get, that salvation is most important for our souls, that we receive the security in life. And sometimes this physical healing comes as well. And this is why I, I believe uh, James says to pray with faith and in righteousness, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But we have to ask this question, what are they powerful and effective for? What is the prayer of a righteous person powerful and effective for? Again, biblically, to be righteous means to be close with God, to be right with God. So in the context of this passage, I believe that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective in drawing someone else close to God. That if someone is close to God, someone is, is righteous and close to God, that as they pray for that person, it will also draw them, that their prayer is powerful and effective in that way, allowing them to see that this life isn't it. That life is more than the sickness that they're going through, than the hardship they're going through, than the situation they're going through. That their prayer is powerful and effective in drawing them close to God. That their prayer is powerful and effective in helping others keep the main thing, the main thing. And this is all done through prayer, but it's also done through confession, as we see there. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. That's the one another passage here. And pray for each other, another part of it. That we're to pray, and we're also to confess. So if a, a person is righteous or close to God, then they'll know that their righteousness isn't from themselves, that they can't judge other people because they know that it wasn't because of what they've done. It's all because of what God has done. They can't judge others because they know first and they've experienced first that their righteousness and the relationship comes from God and not from themselves. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sinful for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The apostle Paul understands that, that God is the one that makes us righteous. God is the one that removes our sin. 
Or he also says in 1 Timothy 1.15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So here's the Apostle Paul saying, I am the, I am the worst of sinners. I am the leading sinner in a way, yet God saved me. And yet that's why I live with grace uh, for other people with love as well. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying here, when someone comes up to him, or when someone comes up to a righteous person and confesses their sin, they would say, you, you struggle with sin? The righteous person will say, me too. <laughs> I'm part of that I, I'm, as well. I'm part of that wrestling. I'm not any better than you. I'm also a person saved by grace uh, through faith. I'm saved by God. I am also a sinner. But the righteous person will say that, you, you know what? There's no judgment on you because I'm with you. I'm not any better than you. Let's go to God together. Let's walk before God together and confess and to bring our prayers to God together. And I'm just thinking about that. Isn't that so much, isn't it so much easier? It's so difficult, easier to, to confess uh, your sins with someone else that's like that, that you know won't judge you. You know that walk right with you. You know that they won't turn around and gossip and be like, hey, do you know so-and-so? It's struggling with this. Isn't there such freedom? And I think that's what James is saying here, why we're to confess to someone uh, that is righteous uh, and that is praying with faith because it's not about them. It's not about their point of view. They're looking to God and keeping God the main thing. As a result, we help others around us keep God the main thing as well. And this kind of heart and this kind of, this kind of attitude can help but build unity in whatever relationship we're talking about. A, a united church is a praying church. A united church is a confessing church. That as we pray and as we, we confess with one another, we can't help but be united because we're all focusing on God and not ourselves. That what is joining us together is the power of God, that he is our father, that he is the one that we're looking to. So when we pray with uh, one another, we confess with one another and this builds unity. But my question for us here this morning is that other than God, uh, have you been practicing confession? Who else knows your sins? God knows but he also calls us to confess who else around you that you trust knows your sins. Secondly, are you someone others would be comfortable enough to confess to? Or there's something blocking and, and maybe we, we give off this kind of a feeling or attitude that, that, that we're better than them. Um, what, what, are you someone that, uh, that someone else will come and confess with you? The point is this, that when we're suffering through prayer and confession, we're able to come back to our authentic self. And we're part of that, helping each other in that, to come back to our authentic self before God, because prayer keeps the main thing, the main thing. And I love this uh, last section here of the text in James 5, 17 to 18, that Elijah was, I'll read it for us, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. And what I love about this passage, as often as we do, we read in scripture all these biblical heroes, and we think we can't be like them. But here, Elijah, James reminds us that Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah was just like you, a human being. And I think about that, that blows my mind because really was Elijah really just like us? He met God on the mountain, right? Uh, and, and where God wasn't in the wind or the earthquake and the fire and God uh, spoke to him in the whisper and on the mountainside. 
uh, this is the Elijah, right, that we're talking about, or the same Elijah who, who rained down fire on the altar as he challenged the prophets of, of Baal, and, and, and the other prophets couldn't light the fire, but God, being the true God, came and lit the fire and to show everyone that he is the one that's in control. Like, this is the Elijah that we're talking about, but James is saying, yeah, the great things that he has done is not because of Elijah, but because of God who's working through him. And us in the New Testament, us as we believe in Jesus, have the same spirit in us. And as we pray, we're speaking to the exact same God as all the biblical characters that we have here. And that ought to encourage and strengthen us here this morning, church, that when we pray, it's not falling on deaf ears, that we're praying to the same God that split the seas. We're praying to the same God that, that created the universe in the beginning. We're talking about the same God who sent angels, has armies of angels in heaven that is in control of all things. We're speaking to the same God who resurrected himself from the grave, from the dead. This is the God that we are praying to. This is the God that we have access to. And this encourages me this morning that we are really no different than the people in the Bible. But again, James asked us this morning, do you believe that you can have, that you, you can have this intimacy with God? Do you believe just like these biblical characters, God can use you to change someone else's destiny? Because the end of the book talks about us having the privilege to pray with people as we pray in faith and we pray in righteousness, that we have the ability to be part of God's work of drawing them close to God once again. Do you believe that God is able to use you as that instrument? Because Jesus believed that, that Jesus having the perfect communion with God left heaven to come down on earth, to walk among us as human beings, to die on the cross, to experience the separateness from from, from God, this, this, uh, this trinity that's been united since eternity in that moment was separated from God for you and for me so that we can have an experience and a relationship with God and a salvation in God. Jesus gave up his life so that you can have life, so that you can have access, so that you can have this relationship. And he's calling us back again this morning and reminding us that we want our lives. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And we do that through prayer, which helps us to focus on God solely. So are you doing that? Are you, are you praying? And maybe for some of you this morning, your first action step is just for you to say a simple prayer that I'm going to choose to pray again. I saw an ad this week that says, what's stopping you from something like, what's stopping you from making one day, uh, your day one and flipping the words around. Maybe you've seen the ad on TV as well. Uh, what's really stopping you from praying today? Instead of saying, I'm going to pray one day, I'm going to make today my day one. And then I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start having this uh, accessing God in this way and speaking to my father that's in heaven. And maybe for some of you as an act of unity, act of faith that you're going to need to, this sounds very silly and simple, but actually to say amen out loud. How many of you actually say that when we're praying here virtually, or maybe when we're live in person at the end of a prayer, you, maybe you say it inside in your heart, but there's power in actually proclaiming that out loud at the end of a prayer, you actually say, amen. I agree. Uh, that is true. Uh, that there is power in that as well, that that is your act of prayer and humility and, and joining in not passively in prayer, but actively engaging yourself in, in that way. I want to encourage us again, as I end it this morning, that it's amazing to think that our prayers can bring someone closer to God, that God uses our prayers as his work of saving grace. And I want to encourage you this week, and maybe right now, 
if you're so brave and so bold uh, to write down your prayer request in the chat, uh, give you a little bit of a moment, maybe we can play some background music in a little bit. Uh, I didn't uh, give warning to our worship leader, but <laughs> it's okay. Um, but just for you to pray, whatever it is, however comfortable it is, uh, however comfortable you are, uh, just to share a simple prayer, pray for my health, pray for my family. Don't need to give all the details because I know it's public, but we're gonna, our leadership is gonna take that and we're gonna pray for you. Uh, we don't need to know every detail, but God knows. And maybe this is your first act of faith now as you write it out uh, in the chat. So why don't I end with prayer for us? Father, uh, this morning, we thank you that you speak to us through your word, that we're reminded, God, that no matter where it is we're watching in from, we're never truly alone because we have access, God, to your throne. We have access to your word. We have access in relationship to you. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here that's feeling alone and rejected, May we know, God, this morning that you are with us and that you know us, you know our struggles, and you know what it is that we're going through. But Father, I also pray that you give us the strength to pray, to pray for ourselves and whatever it is that we're going through. Maybe to pray for faith, to pray for belief, to pray for, um, to pray for whatever um, things in life that we're struggling for, but also remind us to pray for each other, Lord. And we, may we pray in faith, knowing that you are in control of all things. May we pray with righteousness, knowing that we want to be close to you and may to confess our sins so that we, there's nothing blocking us before you, God. May you give us that discipline this morning. And thank you, God, that you're kind and gracious and loving and that you hear us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.